You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. We're starting a brand new series, as Pastor Richard mentioned, called Involved. And that very word, for anyone who feels threadbare by the pace of life, the frenetic pace of life, that very word makes you break out in cold sweats. Because, you know, the fact is, the word involved comes from a Middle English word and a Latin word combined that means to roll your life up into or to get entangled with. And so some of us feel like, I got enough going on, Pastor. There's enough going on in my life right now, and everyone in our culture right now wants more of me. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how involved every, every organization wants you more involved? If you have children in school, they want you involved in school. Uh, if you go to university, they want more of you than just attending classes. At work, it's no longer do your work and go home. No, 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 no. They want your involvement. That's why they give you a phone. That's why they give you a computer. Why? So when you're not working, you're working. You know, there's an involvement it is something that organizations want. It's something that causes want. How many causes are there in this world? How many things are fighting to end? Fighting to end poverty? Fighting to end illiteracy? Fighting to end, I don't know. I mean, there's cancer. Uh, there's lots of great causes out there. Uh, there's, whether it's a pro-life cause or equal rights cause, there's all kinds of causes. And everybody wants your involvement. It's not just that, though. You have families and friends. Some of them want your involvement. They want you more involved in their drama. They want you more involved in their agenda. They want you more involved in your entertainment. And all of that aggressiveness, that aggressiveness through social media where people want you to sign up, want you involved, causes us to become more passive if we're not careful. And here's what happens. We become passive in that we become over-involved. We're so passive, we can't say no. So we find ourselves over-involved in many demands in life between family, friends, organizations, causes, whatever it might be, we're over-involved. Some of us, the passivity makes us become under-involved. We're just like overwhelmed with the, the asks of us. Everybody is asking that we just kind of become under-involved. We're not leveraging what God has given us. We're over-assuming our value in terms of we're threadbare at a pace that's unsustainable. So, so here's where we're going to go, because neither of those options are good options. One of the ways that I want to contend, even at the beginning of our series, that can help you discern what you should be involved in is you need to ask yourself this question, what am I doing with my time? Because time is expensive. You can lose money and you can gain it back. Once you lose time, you never get it back. And we have all kinds of tools in life to remind us of this. We have calendars, and they remind us of the days and months and years that go by so quickly. And then we have watches or phones that remind us of the hours and the days of the week that go by. And then some of you have a second hand. I just lost five seconds of my life right there. And so... It's kind of depressing when you start thinking about time, but in, have you noticed this? The older you get, the quicker it goes. I mean, when I was young, Christmas never seemed to come. And now that I'm older, it's like, 
is it Christmas again? We got to do this all over again? I thought we just did this. Because things get wrapped up and all of a sudden the years pile up and we used to remember every Christmas, but now we just see them blended together. Because the Bible, this theme is throughout the scripture. In fact, I thought I'd start our series with a couple of happy verses from the book of Job. Some of you are laughing because you know the book of Job. So Job says things like this. My days are swifter than the weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Not something you'll find in the Hallmark section when you're looking for that inspirational card. You won't find it there. But in case you didn't get it, a couple chapters later, he says, my days are swifter than the runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Now, the point of Scripture is simply telling us and reminding us that we're, our time is going quickly. Now, I don't know when it happens, and some of you are young enough, and it hasn't happened to you yet. But you get to stages in your life where when you're younger, it's always about how old you are. Well, I'm 18, I'm 21, I'm just 30, I'm just 32, I'm just 40. But somewhere in your 40s, that conversation goes from how old I am to how much time do I have left. All of a sudden, you wake up and it's just like, oh, there's a finish line. And I, this happened to me. <laughs> and I remember I drove my wife Shelly nuts as I began to say all the time, listen, if we're going to do something, we better do it now. Why? Because I realized we kept saying someday, one day, maybe someday. And I just realized I woke up one day and I thought, whoa, I think there's more behind me than in front of me. We better get busy doing whatever we said we're going to do. Now, to, comp you know, to compound that, in the middle of my angst about that, someone on Twitter alerted me to this website, deathclock.com. So really, you're going to be so glad you came to church today. I know it already. And this is a really interesting site because you go and you put the day you were born in. So I put the day I was born in the year. And then you put your body mass index. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's how much you weigh with your height and everything else. And, and so I put that number in. And then I chose whether I'm optimistic, pessimistic, or neutral. And then it gives you the day you will die the year and the day that you will expire. So that just added a lot of joy to my already angst nature about getting older and stuff. And then I played around with their formula because I noticed that if I lowered the body mass index, I'd have more years and I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll get there someday. Or if I was more positive, it added years. And so I thought, oh, I, I should just, maybe I'll be more. You know, the point is simply this. Time is a great clarifier. How are you spending it? Are you involved in things you won't regret being involved in someday? Or are you getting sucked into things that may not even be bad in themselves, but they're not really priorities in life? So over the next number of weeks, here's where we're going to go. Next week, we're going to talk about how to be involved in the needs of others. We have a guest speaker next week. His name is John Kirby. He comes from the United Kingdom. He started a ministry called Christians Against Poverty. And he has been involved in fighting poverty around the world for most of his adult life. And we are partnering with this organization to start a debt center in our church that's going to help people get out of debt in our community as well as anyone that's a part of our church family. Why? Because systemic poverty keeps people trapped in systems that don't allow them to move forward in life. I'm so glad we're a part of a church that cares about the needs of others. 
We have the largest food bank in eastern Toronto every week here serving hundreds of people. And many of you serve in that. So glad you're involved in something that matters. We have a helps ministry. We're going to have this debt center. Some of you might be challenged along the way to say, I want to be involved in something that matters. And as you read the Bible, you realize over and over, I'll tell you who matters. Every human does. But God has a special heart for the poor, the widow, the oppressed, and the marginalized. So getting in on what God's in on is pretty powerful. Then in week two, we're going to talk about involved in lowering the drama in our life. I was going to call it involved in getting rid of drama in your life, but I realize some people are married to drama, so they can't get rid of it. They need to just lower it. Now, why is this important? Because, listen, the less time you spend, and you know social media and everything in our culture and society right now wants you involved in drama. They're looking for a reaction from you. They want you to emotionally engage. And what this does is distract you from things that maybe would be positive, things that will build a future, getting involved in other things. So we're going to talk about how do we lower, not being passively participating in drama or passively initiating drama, but how can we get involved in lowering the drama in our life? And then the next week, we're going to talk about being involved in bridging others to Jesus. Pastor Jan's going to be speaking that weekend. And this is going to be an area where I think if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, we're glad you're here today, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I know of no greater priority than you to be involved in. But it has to be natural and it has to be normal. So how can you be partnering with the Spirit to bridge others to Jesus? And then the final week in our series, we're going to talk about being involved in God's global agenda. And we'll have two guest speakers, Kevin and Don Garrett, And many of you would know them. They've been on the front page of Canadian papers for weeks and months, uh, about a year ago, BBC Worldwide, because they were in prison for over 700 days in a Chinese prison for for their faith. And they're going to come and share what they learned, how God spoke to them, what God did in their life. And they're going to challenge us to get involved in God's global agenda. You're not going to want to miss that weekend. But this week, we're going to talk, as Pastor Richard mentioned, how we can get involved in growing in community. And uh, the message is going to be spoken by a man named Daniel Lung. He's one of our deacons in our church. So he helps give leadership to our church community. Uh, Daniel was a pastor for 10 years. He has his Master's of Divinity and Biblical Studies. He's married to Maki. They have three wonderful children together. But Daniel runs a seafood company. Actually, he makes seafood products for restaurants and supermarkets and, you know, that artificial or imitation crab and other things that he would, his company would make. Uh, but he, like a few others that Shelley and I have met in this life, uh, he and Maki both live intentionally and almost naturally in building community around them in a way that brings Jesus to others. So I'm really excited to welcome Daniel Lung to come and speak to our church community today. Could you welcome him with me? Good morning, everyone. Thank you for your warm welcome, Agent Corps Church. We, we've made this our home church for the past six years, our family, and it's, it's been wonderful. Thank you for welcoming us into this community. Uh, online church, um, you know, whenever there's a snow day, we sometimes check out the online church too. We, we love the dialogues there. You've really created a really neat space there, and it's such a great community. Well, um, as Pastor Jonathan mentioned, I was a full-time pastor. 
I say full-time because while I don't pastor full-time anymore, while the position changes, the calling of being a pastor remains. It doesn't change. So what happened? Why did things change? Well, it's saying that has stuck with us through the years is that God takes us kicking and screaming to the places that we've always wanted to go. Has anyone ever experienced that before where you don't want to go, you're totally comfortable where you are, you're scared, you feel ill-prepared, but you just feel, you just sense that there's something out there you know that you've always wanted. You've sensed it. And you know you need to go. You know, it was a really hard transition from our previous church. We loved the people there. We had community there. But we just felt like there was something else, this other thing. There was this new season of ministry for us. And, and so we transitioned from there because I received a calling to do two different things. The first thing was I work. Uh, I work full time in our family business. It's a food manufacturing business. It's here in Scarborough. It's called Ocean Food Company. Yeah, and as Pastor Jonathan mentioned, we make imitation crab meat and fish balls and fish cakes and all kinds of different things. But we were also called to continue church by meeting with the unchurched. And how we've done this is by forming what we call spiritual discussion groups for people who want to have meaningful, spiritual conversations, but they're just not Christians yet. And so for our discussion groups, it's, it's always been very simple. We create a safe space, and we ask two questions. We bring up a topic, we bring up a spiritual topic, and we just ask two questions about it. What do you believe about this, and why? And we would have the best conversations. They would go on for hours. And as time went on, people in our discussion groups, they became Christians. So we transitioned from discussion groups into Bible studies. And in these Bible studies, we learned how to read the Bible together. We did inductive Bible studies. We did hermeneutics together. We did Lectio Divina together, all different ways of reading the Bible. And, and how can we absorb this into our lives? And at a certain point, Maki and I were like, hey, this is, this is kind of working, and we have more time. We have more weeks in our, in our months. Why don't we start another discussion group? And we started another discussion group, and it also became a Bible study. And we started another discussion group. And, and today, there are some of us here who are, who are part of our groups. Just a shout out to you. Thank you so much for being part of you know, what our community. We, we love you guys. Whether it's been a few months or, what, seven years now for some of us, it's been amazing. We, we love you. Thank you for doing life with us. Um, but you know what? I, I was going through our social media. I thought the easiest way would be to show you what our groups look like, but I went through social media. I went through the media of, of all of the people in our groups, but we couldn't find pictures of us as a group. What I did find, though, was tons of pictures of food. We eat a lot, like a lot. Right? And so we, there's just tons of pictures of food. But you know, here's the thing. I, I love church. I love church. I grew up in church. I firmly believe in the future of the church. It's just that for us, 
we felt that there's a place for us to start engaging our community of people who were unchurched, to learn how to point them to Jesus. And to be honest, we really didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea. But we did know that if we wanted to do this, we would need to make more time and more space in our lives to intentionally build relationship with people in our community. So we'll dig into that a little bit more. But before that, let me just ask you a question, okay? If you're a Christian, how did you become a Christian? Was it a sudden conversion? Or like the bulk of us, was it more of a gradual conversion? And, and I know it's a bit of a nerdy thing, but I, I like my metrics, I like my data, and I, and I love talking to people ab- about their story, how they became Christian. How did God work in their lives? Because I always think that in every story, there's something to learn because it differs from person to person. There are different ways. So sudden, a sudden conversion. What that would look like is, is that for some people, it's, it's, it happens fast. It happens and you're able to point to an exact moment when you're like, I believe in God. There's a defining moment. It could be a time of crisis. It could be a moment of desperation. It could be some time of great need. But when you look back, you recall a specific time that you called out to God and he heard you and he met you and you believed. Conversion was sudden. But for others, this is many people, it's a more gradual process and there are stages. It's a process of how you came to convert to Jesus Christ. And at some point through this process, there might have been a tipping point where you might identify yourself as a Christian, or there might not be one where you could even point to. But at some point, when people asked, what do you believe? You would say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. And when you say that, you even surprise yourself. Or for some people, they just grew up knowing that there was a God And this is a prayer that we have for our children. I mean, I know it sounds so not dramatic at all, but who needs drama, right? That's our prayer for our family, our kids. We pray that, you know what, they will see Maki and I interact our faith in the real world in such a way that they'll just grow up knowing that there's a God. They'll just grow up knowing that there's a God and, and they want to love him and they want to follow him and it becomes personal for them at some point. So, Just a quick show of hands, okay? Uh, Just for me, please help me out. Um, Sudden. How many people here would say your conversion was sudden? It was like you just knew the moment that you became a Christian because God did something in your life. Could could I just get a show of hands? I just want to see. Amazing. Yes, I love it. I love it. And I think that speaks maybe for a lot of us here, the work of this church and what this church has really done. Amazing. How about gradual? How many people would say that your conversion to Jesus Christ was gradual? Yes, yes. It's the majority of us here. And, and, and it just speaks to how God was moving along in our lives. He was working, and it was a process of turning us to him. And you know what? Here's the thing, and, and I don't know if this is going to resonate with some of you here, but What I found is that God in his wisdom, and you see this time and again in scripture, is that God uses 
relational vehicles to gradually bring people to himself. God uses relational vehicles to bring people gradually to himself. And so what I'd like to do today is to use this passage from Luke 10. And it's this passage that's guided what my wife and I have done through these years. And, you know, incidentally, the first time I really took a fresh look at Luke was at Tyndale with, with Dr. Van. He taught me the book of Luke. And, you know, he was one of my favorite professors there. You know, he was so insightful. He opened up the book to me. And if you're thinking about taking a course with him, just don't even think about it. Do it. He's an easy marker. Okay. So let's turn to Luke. Um, and I'm going to read and I'm going to stop at different places. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town where he, where he himself was about to go. Let's start here. Jesus sent out the disciples, all 72 of them at that time, two by two to places where he was going to go. And we can't lose the significance of that. Our God is a God who is on the move. He is always looking to seek and save. He is always looking for those who are lost. He is on a mission. And you might have heard this term, this Latin term, missio Dei, which simply means the mission of God. And God's mission is to set people free. God's mission is to reconcile people to himself, to restore them to himself. That's his mission. And what we see in this passage and what I've come to experience is that God wants us to partner with him in his mission. And it's not that I'm starting a ministry and God is going to come alongside of me and partner with me and what I'm doing and he's going to help me. It's not like that. Rather, it's God's ministry. It's God's mission. His initiative and we have a privilege as Christians of being a part of what he's doing. And that's why Jesus is sending out the disciples two by two, what? To places where Jesus himself was going to go. And it might sound like semantics. It might sound like it's not a really big deal. But it kind of is. It is a big deal. About 12 years ago, Maki and I had the opportunity to vacation in Australia. We loved it there. This is before kids. So here's a picture of us. We look young and fresh still. Um, you know, my classy wife in her helmet. She looks phenomenal in that. Um, while we were there, we took the opportunity to learn how to surf too. We loved it. And what, but one of the things you learn about surfing, you learn really quickly about surfing, is you can be all geared up, you can look the part, you can be all ready, but you're not going to surf without a wave. You could try to stand on your board, but without a wave, you're not going to go anywhere. So what do you do? You paddle out to where the waves are going to be, and you ride them. There's a comfort in knowing that our responsibility is to simply join God in what he is already doing. Jesus is telling his disciples where to go. He's going to be there. There's going to be a wave there. So go there. Wait. Prepare. Experience this. God is moving. 
And he is on a mission. And our job is to simply paddle out to where he is going to be and to join him in his mission. Verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. These verses here are so meaningful. We felt a call to reach out to our community who don't go to church. We felt that we, we wanted to talk to friends, people that we already knew, but they were just unchurched. That was where we felt called to minister. We were interested in what you might call pre-discipleship or, and also early discipleship. That space where people are searching spiritually, but they might not even know it yet. They might not even knowing it. And this is the idea of that son of peace, or better put, this person of peace. And how do you know who a person of peace is? Well, this, God is already at work in their lives. You can tell that God is already doing something in their lives. And how do you know this? Well, there's an openness, and there's a receptivity to having spiritual conversations. They have a genuine interest in spiritual matters. And so with us, we didn't know what we were doing. We started reaching out to some of our community um, who are unchurched. These are friends of ours that our lives just kind of bumped into, you know, co-workers of my wife, uh, someone that we did CrossFit with, you know, someone that I did business with, someone from Maki's Mummy's, Mummy Group, which is a group of new moms who, who got together weekly, they brought their kids, and they would just have, they would do life together, support one another, really. And we told them, hey, listen, we're friends. We, we transitioned from church. We, we want to learn how to talk about what we believe. But we want to do it in a simple way. We want to do it in a very real way. And we're already friends. We have good conversations. Would you be willing to help us? Would you be willing to be part of a group that talks about spiritual things together? It was honest. Our ask was honest. It was straightforward. But I think based on the strength of our friendship that we already had, they said yes. But one thing was certain. God was already at work in their lives. And what we found time and time again when we talked to people is that people are more ready than you think to, to talk about spiritual things. People are more ready than you think. And this is especially true if you already have a friendship with them, if they are already part of your community. They might not, ready, they might not be ready to have you talk about the Bible with them. It's true. They might not be ready for you to bring them to church. But very often, people are ready to talk about spiritual things. Some of our first conversations with people in our discussion group were, were, were just topics that we had. We talked about life after death. What do you believe about that? Why? We talked about the notion of a higher power. Well, what do you believe about that? Why? What some of your guiding values in life are? Well, why are these some of your guiding values? We talked about the idea of how some of us have 
experienced a spiritual moment where you experienced something or felt something that you, you just can't explain, but it made an impact on your life. It left an indelible mark on you. And sometimes you can't talk to everybody about it, but you can hear. Again, this is all pre-discipleship. And we realize that everywhere around us in our community, people are having these kinds of conversations, but they just look different than what we're used to at church when we were at church. And it was like God needed to take us out of our holy huddle, out of our church, into the community to see what God was already doing, and it totally opened up our eyes. And we also realized that, hey, we can't say that, hey, this here, this is what a spiritual conversation looks like. This is the only thing a spiritual conversation looks like, and nothing else is. We couldn't say that anymore. Because spiritual conversations can look very different than what we might be accustomed to. But that doesn't mean it's not a spiritual conversation. And perhaps more importantly, it doesn't mean that God doesn't work in these conversations. So the question that we ask ourselves, and we're always on the hunt and keep our eyes open for is, who are the people of peace in your life? People who are open to spiritual matters. God may already be at work in their lives. So pray for the person of peace. Verse 7. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. What we found time and time again is, is that when it comes to the topic of evangelism, evangelism is relational. It's not transactional. It's about the relationship. It's not about, I'm telling you this and you need to receive this. It's not transactional in that sense. It's about doing life together. The disciples were told not to move around. They were told to eat and drink with the people. When we engage our community, relationships matter. And so we began to meet and have these spiritual conversations. And here's what we began to find. There was this huge mental shift in us when it came to this idea of talking about spiritual conversations. I didn't you know, when I, when I was growing up and when I grew up in church, when it came to the idea of having conversations with people about God, I might call it a conversation, but it was really a debate. It was really a debate. I would think of it as trying to win someone over. I would think I would just need to take apart their thoughts, their objections to Jesus Christ, and I would be able to win them over to him. It was kind of like these poker chips here where you have all these white ones and, and you think that all these white ones here, they're, they're stacked up and this is what they believe in life. This is their belief system. This is what we think. But in the midst of it all, there, there's a red one at the very bottom and it's a missing piece of Jesus. And, and, and we think that, hey, you know what? They have a faulty chip in what they believe. And we think it's stacked like this where, you know what? If, if I'm able to argue them well enough, if I'm able to eke out that red poker chip, if my apologetics are on point, if I'm able to pull this out, their whole belief system's gonna topple over and I'm, able gonna, I'm gonna be able to win them over to Christ. But here's the thing, when it comes to belief systems, they're not 
only facts and thoughts. It's not all rational. I mean, if belief systems were only thoughts, then maybe a debate would work. But what we find is that people's belief systems, they're not vertical stacks. Instead, what you find is that they're interconnected. They're flat. It's horizontal. And they're interconnected with each other. And if you take one of these out, the whole thing doesn't topple over because it's flat. And it's not a belief system. Belief system is not just what people think. It's so much more than that. It's their experiences in life. It's their traditions that they have. It's their upbringing. It's their community. It's someone's family of origin. What their parents believe, whether it was explicit or implicit in their religious systems or their family traditions, but whatever it was is now part of their identity. You know, when we ask people in our groups, it's like, well, what do you believe? And they're like, well, I... I guess my parents are Buddhist, so I guess I'm kind of Buddhist too. Do they, really, do they really believe in the teaching of Buddha? No. But somehow, it's become a part of them. It might be something that their friends believed, a collective group of friends believed growing up, and because they collectively believed it, it added to their personal sense of community. But here's the thing, that was, in, that was when they were teenagers. That was when they were in college or university. And they just haven't thought about it again, but they've carried it with them into their next stage of life. It might be something that they once read and it just seemed to make sense. And because they did it themselves and they came to that conclusion themselves, they felt grown up for the first time and it became part of their identity. But for all these poker chips in someone's belief system, once they're there, if people don't, people don't tend to examine them again, they're just part of their belief system. Once they get in here in their head or in their heart, unless they consciously and intentionally examine them again, what they believe is what they believe. It doesn't really change on its own, but that's where spiritual conversations come into play. When we do life with people, when we have good conversations with people, with people that we genuinely care about, it's not transactional, and if we're in it for the long game, not the short game, we can actually talk about, we can actually examine why people believe what they believe. And, and what they start to do is that they start teasing out their own beliefs. They see what fits with them anymore. I remember in, in one of our groups, after meeting someone new, I, I just knew it was going to be tough. That night, I literally wrote in my journal, this person is self-made, highly intelligent. He has a lot of really good questions. This is gonna be tough. This is gonna be tough. But remember, in our survey that we just did here, people come to faith gradually. So we need those relational vehicles to journey with people as they gradually go through this conversion process. In the course of our conversations with this person, we created a safe space to talk, to ask honest, raw questions, and to talk about what we believed and why we believed it. And slowly, slowly, you can see how God was working in his life. And again, using this picture of this poker, these poker chips, you can see it's, it's kind of like he began to exchange some of these poker chips for God's truth. Taking one out, putting one in, 
taking one out, putting another one in. And eventually, he gave his life to Christ. What we're called to be is to be a consistent presence in someone's life, to practice this ministry of being present with people and journeying with them in community. So in this context of this verse, to eat, drink, don't move around, it's this idea of putting a stake in the ground. Whatever community you're in, whether it's school or your friends or your home or your work, whatever community you're in, and really doing life with people because Jesus himself is about to go there too. And you know, I can't tell you how many times through the course of a night's conversation when, when we have discussion group or Bible study, people have experienced that change where people literally say, you know, I, I used to believe this, but I don't believe that anymore. It doesn't fit with where I'm at anymore. There was a time when I did, but where I'm at now, it, it doesn't fit with me anymore. I like what you're saying. I want to believe what you believe. Friends, we get to inspire people with our lives to point them to Jesus. These are the conversations that we get to, that happen when you have relationships with people. Again, evangelism is relational. It's not transactional. And moving on, verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This verse speaks to what we do. We heal people. We're called to heal people. We bring healing spiritually. We bring healing emotionally. And at times, we bring healing physically too. So in one of our groups, there was someone whose father had prostate cancer. Uh, he was being prepped for chemotherapy. And, and, and so we prayed in faith that God would heal him, and that there would be specifically no trace of cancer in his body. And have you ever had a prayer time where, you know, instead of asking God, your faith just is stirred up and you're declaring something in Jesus' name? We declared his healing in Jesus' name. Well, before the chemotherapy, the doctor said, let's just do another test before we make you undergo all that harshness. And when the results came back, they couldn't find any trace of cancer. He was well in Jesus' name. That was about five years ago. I can't tell you how much that did for um, our collective faith journey, for the, the faith journey of our community, that what we read in the Bible is what God continues to do today, that God is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forevermore. He's faithful. He's consistent. And one of the sayings that my wife and I, we look at each other when we see these things, we say, God is gooder than you think. Right? God is gooder than you think. What we think of as good, God is more than that. We get to show and tell people that God is more loving. God is more good. He is more trustworthy, more faithful than they think. This is the kingdom of God that we're preaching. This is the kingdom of God that we're bringing to people. And whatever you might have thought or whatever you might have experienced in the past, he is more than that. And as Christians, again, this idea of privilege, we get to show and tell people that God's kingdom has come near. And this, gooder than you think, this is what it looks like. Verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, 
we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. Friends, sometimes people are, simply aren't ready. Yeah. We've invested time in them. We share meals together. We've had amazing conversations. We've done life. But they're not ready yet. They're not ready yet. One of the things we, we take a lot of hope in and we put a lot of faith in is that in God's economy, no experience is ever wasted. You guys experienced that before? In God's economy, no experience is ever wasted. So what do we do? Very practically, we keep on moving. We invest our time in people who want to keep growing and growing. We have this mission to partner with, with what God is doing. So while we stay friends with people who aren't ready yet to maybe keep growing in Christ and, and growing spiritually, that's fine. We stay friends with them, but we more intentionally spend time with people who are ready. The door is always open for anybody who wants to walk with us in life, but for people who are ready to really grow, the idea of that fertile soil, we want to spend more time with those people. One of the things one of my professors said when I was um, in school, he said, Daniel, do you ever notice how many times Jesus turns his back on the many to focus on the few? How many times did Jesus turn his back on the crowd to focus on his disciples? And you know, that really stuck with me. The idea that this is the way Jesus did discipleship, focusing on the few looking for the, the person of peace, the people of peace in our lives that God is already at work in. And how can we partner with God in what he is already doing in their lives? Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. I, 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 want, I wanted Daniel to speak to our church community because... Uh, it's one thing to teach, it's another thing to be doing, right? And this is something that you and Maki do in your lives with such intention. And I have a couple questions for you just to, to help us connect it, and then we're going to dismiss shortly. Uh, but I will say, friends, if you didn't like what uh, Daniel said at all today, or you thought he was maybe off base, just remember who taught him Luke in <laughs> seminary, right? Dr. Van, you take it up with him, right? So, so uh, listen, uh, Daniel, you're, you're a busy person. Uh, you run your own company. You have three young ones. You're married uh, with Maki. There's a lot of things going on in your life, a lot of activities in your life. Why is this a priority thing to be involved in? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a priority. There is, there's one term that I didn't bring up uh, today, and it's this term oikos, and it really means household in the Greek. And the way that we understand that is our, our household is more than, for us in our family, the, it's more than the five of us. Our household, our people in our community, the people that we have relational connections with, people that we're able to influence in our lives. We're, what is our sphere of influence? And when we think of this idea of this household, we, one of the reasons why it's a priority, to be honest, is we want our kids to see that our household is more than the five of us. And we want them to to catch that, because some things are caught, they're not taught, right? And, and we want them to experience this, this idea of living a life of, 
of, of surfing, of being on this wave with Jesus and, and really experiencing all that God has. Well, okay, so I'm going to put myself in maybe the shoes of somebody that's watching online or in this room, and, and we're listening to this, and, you know, love it. You guys obviously eat a lot. That, that's, that's, always, that's always good. But maybe we're sitting there and we're saying, listen, you guys must be of the gift of hospitality and be extreme extroverts. I prefer dining alone, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the idea of opening my home for many reasons uh, or bit, walking into the community uh, feels difficult. Uh, what would you say to us if we might find ourselves there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, here's the thing. I, I'm a natural introvert. Um, years ago, I was a severe introvert. I, I really like my time. I need my time to recharge and get re-energized. But I think I would flip that question around. I would flip it around and I would ask, well, why do I need to be recharged? Why do I need this time? And when I thought about that, here's what I came to. I need to be recharged because I need more of God's love in my life. I need to be recharged because I need to experience God's kingdom more in my life. And so I need my time alone. But the reason for that is so that I can overflow with that and I can overflow into other people's lives. It's not just all about me, but it's the idea that I'm so full of this that I can overflow into other people's lives. And we remember that conversion is a gradual experience. I want to continuously recharge so I can continuously overflow into other people's lives. Okay, so I'm going to bridge off that because I think too, as I've met many of the people that have come to your discussion groups and many of them become part of this church community even too, but uh, there's a lot of people involved in your life how do you maintain healthy boundaries? Yeah. But because that could be just a ton of activity and you could be threadbare all over. How do you maintain healthy boundaries by inviting even more people to journey with you? Yeah, no, I, it's a fair question. I mean, we, yeah, we're, we're busy, but we're, we're Torontonians. We're all busy, right? So I, I think the way we, we look at it is we, we simply make pre-decisions in our lives. Right? We're, we, we, first of all, one of the major focuses for us is our marriage. Um, we, we spend a lot, of time, a lot of time just focusing to make sure our marriage is strong. Um, we, we go on dates together. At the end of every day, we process uh, the day together. We celebrate things. Um, you know, we, we really make that a priority. Um, but I think on top of that, we, we also want to make sure that our kids are tracking with us too. Um, we, we spend a lot of time with them talking about their days and, and making sure they're okay too. And, and we haven't lost them as we move on ahead too. Um, but I, I think on top of that, too, we, we learn to say no. We, we learn to say no to some things. We learn to say not yet to some things um, because we, we need to balance things. And when we're going through a particular season of busyness, we're like, well, no, we, we can't do that yet. Or not yet. We can't wait until we can, but not yet. So again, uh, instead of becoming over-involved, you're putting boundaries around it. Okay, so, okay, everybody, we're all in an elevator in this moment with Daniel. Give us the 30-second pitch why we should consider doing life and community more. Okay. 30 seconds. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I think it's, it's the best way of living. Doing this in community is really the best way of living. And it's almost as if Jesus is out there and he's saying, Daniel, surfs up. Surfs up. There's a wave coming. Join him in what he is already doing. Because honestly, 
When you are doing life with people and they open up their lives to you and you're able to have those intimate conversations that they're not able to have with other people and you have those pivot moments where slowly you see them pivoting the trajectory towards eternity, towards Jesus, what can be, what can be better than that? And I think one of the things that we often ask ourselves and we often say is that, you know, for, for us, we, we want the fullness of what God has promised us without doing the fullness of what God has asked of us, right? And I think that we, there's this incongruity between those two things. But when we do what God has asked of us, we experience the fullness of everything that he has for us. Yeah, that's so good. Well, friends, if you'd like to ask questions of Daniel. We're going to be in the Next Steps Lounge immediately following. If you're online, you can go to the chat room and you can dialogue there. But maybe you have questions or maybe you are listen to something that's been said today. And in some way, I know some of us are recovering from community because we've been wounded by people. And so maybe we keep a good barrier between us and others. Um, but maybe this is a moment where the Spirit would speak to even you to say, maybe now it's time to take a step into community. So you may want to start a group. You may want to join an existing group. We would invite you to participate in that. You can go to the Next Steps Lounge and we'll help you with that. Uh, Daniel, before you leave, would you pray over our church community? You know, pray for those online, for us in this room, that this kingdom value that is held so high by Jesus that somehow it would be ignited in our hearts. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's pray, Let's friends. pray together. Yeah. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this church community. Thank you for what you are already doing here. And there's this legacy, this heritage of, of people reaching out beyond themselves, beyond their comfort, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this. But Lord, as has been said so many times here that for this church community, our best years are ahead of us. We firmly believe that, Lord. And so, Lord, I want to pray for us here. I want to pray that you would ignite in us this desire to reach out to the people around us, to these people of peace that you're already doing something with. Lord, open our eyes. The fields are white unto harvest, as you said. Help us see what you are seeing and help us to do what you are doing. And today, Lord, I want to also pray for those of us here a special prayer for those who have been wounded in community. Lord, we talk about healing spiritually, emotionally, physically. But Lord, I pray that you would touch. I pray, Lord, that you would heal those of us here particularly who have been wounded by community. And I pray that they would have the courage to reach out and join the fellowship of believers in what you are doing. Lord, we believe this. We pray this in agreement in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.